Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. Well, howdy. Howdy. Hey, it's uh, great to see you. This morning, uh, my name is Timothy Atik. I'm the director of Breakaway Ministries in College Station. It's so good to get to be back with you for a second week in a row. Um, several years ago, two of our closest friends, Sterling and Natalie, bought this older home in Dallas, Texas. And what you need to know about Natalie is that for well over a decade now, she has had significant health issues. She has this issue where her body really struggles getting rid of toxins. And so they bought this house, and at the back of this house is this one small room that Sterling and Natalie made into a playroom for their kids. And this one small room has its own air conditioning unit. What Sterling and Natalie didn't know is that the previous owners bought an air conditioning unit that was just too big for this one small room. And so this air conditioning unit was short cycling. And I don't understand all the ins and outs of it, but, but basically what was happening was this unit was overproducing. And so moisture would develop on the coils inside the unit and it would never have time to evaporate. And so what ended up happening was mold began to grow on the inside of this unit. So just think about it. This air conditioning unit was quietly operating in the background of their lives, blowing air throughout the house and poisoning Natalie's body and sabotaging her health without her even knowing it. And the reason that I tell you that is because this morning I want us to talk about our past failures. It might be something that happened this weekend. It could be something that happened years ago. I don't know what your situation is. I would just imagine that every single one of us here uh, has moments or seasons that we can look back on and just slap the label, what was I thinking? That exists for all of us. For you, it might be in a past relationship. It could be in a past marriage. It could be a decision you made in a, in a previous job. I don't know what it is for you, but what I do know from personal experience is our past failures can be a lot like that air conditioning unit. Our past failures can poison our lives, blowing guilt, shame, and regret through our souls like air through a house. Few things can sabotage our emotional and spiritual health like past failures. And so I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus Christ wants to, in a sense, deal with the broken and busted air conditioned unit of your soul. He wants to, to purify the air of your life from guilt, shame, and regret. And he's going to do it by showing us what he did with Peter's past failure. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me this morning to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. 
And before we start reading in, in John 21, it's probably just good for us to remind ourselves of Peter's greatest failure. And, and so many of us are familiar with Peter's failure. We know that it takes place on the night that Jesus is betrayed and arrested. But it all kind of starts in the upper room at the Last Supper. There's this moment where Jesus says to his friends, hey guys, where I'm going, you cannot come. And then the soundtrack to the movie Braveheart begins to play. And Peter makes this very noble and heroic sounding statement in response to what Jesus just said. Here's what Peter says in John 13, 37. He says, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Can you imagine how Peter must have felt in this moment? I mean, all the other disciples are sitting there stuffing their faces with hummus. And Peter steps up and just says, hey, Jesus, let me just be clear. I will lay down my life for you. And then you can practically hear a record scratch. As a Braveheart soundtrack abruptly stops and Jesus fills Peter in on reality. He says this in verse 38, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Jesus says, Peter, let me just fill you in. You are just moments away from your greatest failure. And Luke chapter 22 puts us there. Here's Peter's greatest failure. Verse 54, Then they seized him, that's Jesus, and they led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him, but he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. So just get what's happening here. Peter sits down around a, a charcoal fire with some soldiers, with some servants, and over an extended period of time, Peter does exactly what Jesus says he will do. Three different times and in three different ways, Peter is asked if he knows Jesus Christ, and in three different ways, Peter declares, I do not know Jesus. This is the greatest failure of Peter's life. Hands down, by far the greatest failure of his life. And let's just be very clear. This is a massive failure. Peter was a guy who spent uh, every day for three, three years straight with Jesus. Peter had front row seats to all of Jesus's messages and miracles. Peter was a guy who Jesus empowered to go out and, and cast out demons and heal the sick and raise the dead. Peter was one of only three people who got to behold the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. And then over a period of just a few hours, Peter denies Jesus flat out three times. This is a massive failure. The darkness of this failure is very 
very thick. This is Peter's greatest failure. Now let me just take you to the worst moment of Peter's life. We find it in verses 61 and 62 of Luke 22. It says this, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Jesus denies, I'm sorry, Peter denies Jesus for the third time, the rooster crows. And then right in that moment, Peter's eyes meet Jesus's. And in that moment, Jesus's eyes are like smelling salts are to a boxer. And, and Peter sees Jesus and it, it, in that moment, just snaps him out of this trance of sin that he's in. And for the first time in a few hours, Peter, Peter sees his sin for what it truly is, that he has denied the Son of God, not once, not twice, but three times. Imagine the embarrassment in this moment as Peter locks eyes with Jesus. Imagine the guilt and the shame and the regret that must have crashed into his life like an ocean wave. Can you, can you resonate with this at all? Do you know what the trance of sin is like? Where it's, where it's no longer about what is right, it's about what feels right. What God wants is irrelevant, what you want is ultimate. Do you know what that's like? I, I would imagine we've all spent either moments or seasons in this trance of sin, but then something happens and, and Jesus cuts through the fog of your sin. The light of Christ pierces through the darkness of your sin, and in that moment, you see your sin for what it truly is. And when you see your sin for what it truly is, what invades your life? Guilt, shame, and regret. Just to be clear, the normal natural response to realizing that you have failed, the normal natural response is guilt, shame, and regret. And please don't miss what I'm about to say. It is the kindness of God that you experience momentary guilt, shame, and regret in times of failure. That is actually the kindness of God because momentary guilt, shame, and regret can actually move you back towards Jesus. It can remind you of your need for Jesus to be savior and forgiver and healer and restorer in our lives. I am not talking about the, the temporary guilt, shame, and regret that can move us back to Jesus. No, what I'm talking about is when something in our life short circuits. I'm talking about the times when that which must be always momentary actually becomes permanent. I'm talking about what happens when guilt, shame, and regret move into our lives and make themselves at home. I'll be honest, this talk is really personal for me this morning. Um, before I dated and married my wife, I was in just a very unhealthy relationship, kind of right out of college. And I think the best way that I could describe that relationship was it was an extended period of time where I did what felt right instead of what I knew deep down was right. And so it was a relationship just packed full of insecurity, impurity, and 
drama. And, and one of the worst parts about it is that while that relationship was going on, man, I was serving at church, uh, working at a church, investing in the lives of high school students. And, and finally, God used some older men just to kind of get me out of the relationship. And when that happened, Jesus cut through the fog of my sin. He invaded the trance of my sin. His light shined into my darkness. And for the first time, I saw my sin for what it truly was. And I, I saw the effects of it. I saw how it created this distance between me and God. I felt spiritually dry. That's what happens when you allow sin to, to reign in your life. You can't run towards sin and run towards Jesus at the same time. To move towards sin is to move away from Christ. And I felt that. For the first time, I saw my hypocrisy that I was uh, investing in these high school guys and telling them to do one thing but doing something different. I felt that hypocrisy. And I felt the impact that it had on this girl's life that I had been dating. And as I stepped away from that whole situation, what happened was guilt, shame, and regret moved into my life, and they made themselves at home. And they, those three things blew through my life like air through my friend's house, and it poisoned my life. Uh, I'll just... I'll never forget, for years after that relationship, I, I was always embarrassed to run into someone from that church that I had been working, uh, that I had worked at. Because I, I figured that when people saw me, they, they saw me for my sin. I felt, I felt kind of marked or, or damaged. See, that's what sin will do, is it distorts your identity. It leads you to believe that that what you've done is somehow now who you are. I don't know if you've ever dealt with that before, where you convince yourself that what you've done is now in some sense who you, who you are. It, it distorts your identity. And then when I became a youth pastor in Austin, I just dealt with all of this insecurity. And I, what I felt is I felt unusable. I didn't, I didn't feel like I deserved to be used by God. So that's what sin will do is it will, it will make you feel damaged, like you are unusable. And then when I started dating my wife, Catherine, Catherine just had a cleaner past than I did, and I, I felt unworthy. See, that's what shame and regret will do, is it will lead you to believe that you are unworthy and undeserving of good gifts from God. And I, I just remember that um, I couldn't wait for as much time to pass as possible, because I figured the more distance I put between myself and my past, then the more God would like me. See, I was convinced that God loved me. I mean, I grew up singing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. That wasn't the issue. I didn't doubt whether or not God loved me. I doubted whether or not God liked me. And I just believed that the more time the past, the more that God would like me. Have you ever experienced any of this before? Man, guilt, shame, 
and regret can be toxic to the soul. They will poison your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, your identity, your security, your worth, your relationship with God, your relationship with others, and your ministry. It's interesting, as I talked to my friends Sterling and Natalie, uh, what Natalie told me was, you know what, over those Uh, Over the years that we were dealing with this air conditioning unit, when we didn't know that it was, that that was the problem, man, she said, I tried a bunch of different things to try and deal with my health. And there were different things that I would try that would help for a, a short amount of time. But then ultimately my body and my health would just tank again. And I I think about that and I think, you know what? We try and deal with our guilt, shame, and regret in all types of ways. We try and pacify how we feel in a number of different ways. Let me tell you what you can do to try and pacify your guilt, shame, and regret from past failures. The first thing you can do is you can make promises to God. And that's what we do often. We say, God, I just promise. I promise that I'm never going to do that again. I promise that I'm never going to screw up again. That's the first thing you can do. You can promise. The second thing you can do is you can compare. And this is a big one for us. What we want to do is we want to look at the other people around us and we want to compare our failure to other people's failures. And what we will ultimately do is find somebody who has failed more significantly than we have. Because when we find someone who has failed far worse than us, it just makes us feel better about our lives. So you can make promises. You can compare. The other thing you can do is you can, you can punish yourself. You can deprive yourself of good things so that you feel like you have adequately paid for your failure. But here's what I need you to know. You can make promises, you can compare, and you can punish yourself, but there will still be something toxic in the air. There will. There will still be something toxic in the air. You know what Sterling and Natalie had to do? They had to bring someone in to rip out the unit. And that's what Jesus wants to do for you this morning. He wants to step in and he wants to rip out the broken and busted air conditioned unit of your soul. And he's going to show us exactly what he wants to do by showing us what he did with Peter. So we finally now get to John 21. And let me just read you verses 1 through 8. It'll set the scene for us. It says this. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat 
and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. So here's what you need to know. After Jesus rose from the dead, there was about a 40-day period where he appeared to people at different times. And there were multiple times that Jesus appeared to the 11 remaining disciples. And the thing that I love about Jesus is he always had a killer entrance. He always had an amazing entrance. So like there was one time where Jesus' 11 friends were were locked in a room. They were in a locked room. And then Jesus just appears and he's like, peace be with you. Like, that's pretty cool to just show up like that. This time, he just walks along the edge of the sea. and He's like, children, have you caught any fish? Man, if it was me in the boat and I didn't know it was Jesus, I'd be like, who's the dead man calling me a child? But he's like, hey, Uh, Have you caught anything? No? Great. Throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And they do, and they catch 153 fish. That's a pretty great entrance. And uh, John realizes that it's Jesus, and so Peter pulls a Forrest Gump, and he's like, Lieutenant Dan! And he just goes over the side of the boat and starts swimming for the shore to see Jesus. Now, what you need to know is every single time that Jesus uh, showed up, made an appearance during these 40 days, he always appeared for a specific reason. This particular time, he shows up to specifically deal with Peter's past failure. So watch what happens. We pick it up in verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it in bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now skip down to verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death He was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now I need all eyes on me. You cannot miss what Jesus is doing here. Where did did Peter's failure take place? It took place around a charcoal fire. 
Where does Jesus bring Peter right now? He brings him to another charcoal fire. And on that dark night, what happened as Peter sat around that charcoal fire? Well, three different times he was asked if he, was, he, if he had been with Jesus. And three different times, in three different ways, Peter denies Jesus. What happens on this morning at breakfast? Jesus brings Peter to a charcoal fire and he asks Peter the same question three times. Do you love me? And each time Peter responds, you know what he's doing? He's replacing one denial with one affirmation of his love for Jesus. What Jesus is doing is he is replacing Peter's failure with his forgiveness. And not just his forgiveness, but favor. It doesn't stop there. Three years before, when, when Jesus initially um, met Peter and called Peter to be his disciple, where did it happen? It happened at the Sea of Galilee. Where are they right now? They're at the Sea of Tiberias, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee. And three years before, when Jesus first um, initiated a conversation with Peter. What name did he use? He used the name Simon instead of Peter. What name did he, does he use right here? He uses the name Simon. And three years before, when Jesus invited Peter to be his disciple, what words did he use? He used the two words, follow me. It's the same two words that Jesus just used in verse 19. I hope you see it. Jesus is hitting the reset button on Peter's life. He's wiping the slate clean. He's giving Peter a complete new start. He is replacing Peter's failure with his forgiveness and favor. He's declaring to Peter, I'm not done with you. I still have great plans for you. I want to use you. And most of all, I want to be with you. You want to know why this moment was possible for Peter? It was possible because sandwiched in between the two charcoal fires of Peter's life was the cross of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul explains much better than I ever could what Jesus accomplished on that cross. He says this in Colossians chapter 2, 13 and 14. He says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. For what did he do? He forgave. What's that next word? Just say it out loud. He forgave all our sins. He canceled out the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. It says he forgave all of our sins. So what that means for you is if you ever believe that Jesus forgives some of your sins but then struggles to forgive others, you need to know that that is that is in direct contradiction to the Bible. That does not make sense from God's perspective. He is either forgiven all of your sins or none of your sins. And I love what it says. It says he canceled out the record of charges against us, but he didn't just cancel it out. It goes on and it says he took it away. He has completely removed 
the record of your sin. See, when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't just die for each individual sin. He died for the entire record of your sin. He didn't just cancel out individual sins. He canceled out the entire record. And he has not just canceled it, he has removed it as if it never was. Do you believe that that is what Jesus has accomplished in your life? When you know Jesus in a personal way, when you express faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins, when you believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, the entire record of all your failures doesn't even exist anymore. Just like the air conditioning unit in my friend's house, it has been ripped out and replaced. Replaced with what? With Jesus Christ's permanently clean slate. God's message to you this morning is the same message he had to Peter. I still love you. I'm not done with you. I still want to use you and I want to be with you. You want to know why I love Peter? Watch what happens right after this beautiful moment. Watch what happens. Verse 20 says this. It says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And so let me just tell you what's happening. Peter has this beautiful moment with Jesus where Jesus in a sense says, we're good. Your past is done away with. Follow me. I've got great plans for you. I want to use you. And what does Peter do just seconds later? He starts comparing. Uh, that's great, Jesus. Thank you for that. Hey, what about John? What's going to happen with him? And Jesus is like, hello, McFly, anybody home? You worry about you. Stop sticking your nose where it doesn't belong. And then you read Galatians chapter two. And what do we find out from Paul? Paul has to confront Peter because Peter is out of line. So just to be clear, Peter had other failures. Peter's life, even though he was a foundational player in the, the building of the church, Peter was very imperfect. He had other failures, but you go and read the book of Acts, and what do you see? You see thousands of people putting their trust in Jesus Christ through the proclamation of the gospel through Peter's mouth. In Acts chapter 4, I love it. I love Acts chapter 4 because in Acts chapter 4, Peter's arrested and put in prison and what it says about the, the Pharisees and scribes as they look at Peter, it says that they could tell that he had been with Jesus. They didn't even have to ask. Like when he sat around that charcoal fire and got questioned, they didn't have to question. Something had shifted and they knew this man had been with Jesus. 
Just a few verses ago, Jesus alluded to the type of death that Peter would die. Tradition would tell us that Peter was crucified upside down for Jesus' sake. Let me tell you why I love that. I love how Peter's life ends because it takes us all the way back to where we started in the upper room. Do you remember what Peter told Jesus as that Braveheart soundtrack played? He said, I will lay down my life for you. And in the end, that's exactly what he did. And now Peter isn't remembered for his failure. He's remembered for Jesus' forgiveness and favor. So he's not remembered for his failure. What he's remembered for is for his faithfulness to Christ. So if you want to put a, a label on Peter's life, here it is. Imperfect but faithful. Isn't that a great label? Imperfect but faithful. Let me just ask you. What if, what if that could be the label of your life? What if Jesus wants to step in and do something radical with your past failures so that your life is no longer defined by your failures, it's defined by his forgiveness and favor? What if Jesus wants to trade your stories? What if he wants to trade your story of failure for his story of forgiveness and favor? Are you willing to let him do that this morning? What if he wants to give you a new label? Your label is imperfect but faithful. What if his message to you this morning is, I'm not done with you. I still have plans for you. I want to use you. I want to be with you. Will you let him? I need you to hear me this morning. Your past does not have to define your present or your future. Do you want to know why I stood up here and shared details of my personal past? Some people might hear that and be like, why is this guy sharing this? He doesn't have to share this. The reason I share it is, is because I don't have a story to hide. I don't have a story to hide. I actually have a story to tell. And my past failure isn't an anchor of guilt, shame, and regret that I just have to tow around through my life. No, my past failures are trophies of God's grace. And they display the goodness and the greatness and the power of Jesus Christ to trade my story of failure for his story of forgiveness and favor. Will you let him do that in your life? It starts with you answering the same question that Jesus asked to Peter three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? I appreciate that question because what Jesus didn't ask Peter is, do you promise to never screw up again? He knew that he was seconds away from screwing up. So he knew that was the wrong question to ask. <laughs> that wasn't his question. Do you promise to never do? You know what? Do you promise to always be better than the people around you? You know, do you promise to kind of punish yourself enough to kind of pay for what you've done? No, his question was very simple. Do you love me? 
You want to know how to practically answer that question this morning? You answer it by simply agreeing with Jesus. You, you tell Jesus, yes, I love you. And the way you tell him that is simply by agreeing with him. Because what Jesus is saying this morning is, I already dealt with all of your sins. But we wanna, what we want to say is, yeah, but I have this one sin. Jesus is saying, I have canceled out your record. And we're saying, but what about my record? So the best thing you can do this morning is just say, yeah, Jesus, I do love you because I believe that you have traded my story of failure for your story of forgiveness and favor. Let's pray together. Maybe you walked in this morning, you didn't know we were talking about this, but as I started talking, something in you just resonates and something deep down in you just says, I've failed. What if you could leave this morning just confidently saying, I'm forgiven. You might have walked in here with guilt, shame, and regret. You can leave here feeling a a weight lifted but just starts with you agreeing with Jesus. I don't need to know what's in your past to be able to confidently say, Jesus wants to exchange your story for his story. Lord Jesus, thank you that this is why you came. You came to set us free. You came to deal with all of our sin. You came to cancel out the entire record of our failures. But Lord, somewhere along the way, for so many of us, something malfunctions. And the guilt, shame, and regret that was meant to be temporary has actually moved in and made themselves at home in our lives. And so I just pray for my friends in the room this morning who um, feel unworthy, who feel like what they've done is in some way who they are, for those who feel undeserving, for those who are making promises that they'll never do something again, or for those comparing to try and minimize the, the, the shame that they feel in their soul. Lord, I just pray your freedom in this place. And I I pray that you, Jesus, really would just exchange our stories of failure for your story of forgiveness and favor. We love you and we need you this morning. I just ask you to come in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day.
Hi, and welcome to Postscript. I'm Lou Ann Riley, Grow Group and Discipleship Director, and I'm here with Breakaway Director Timothy Atik, who just brought a message from John 21. Welcome. Thanks. So glad to have you back. Love yes. getting to be at So I love how last week we looked at the question from Jesus. Yep. This week we looked at another question, yep. and we talked about guilt and shame and regret, yep. which everyone yep. at That's right. some point that's has right. something, uh, whether it was yesterday or in your past, yeah. or maybe even this morning. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that we we have uh, that we respond in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had a question come in um, that is talking about guilt and shame over uh, past mistakes, and I'm just going to read it to you. Yeah, great. Um, they wrote in and said, "I've wronged people in the past, and I, f- I feel like I've given that over to God and asked Him for forgiveness, but when I see those people." These feelings of guilt and shame and embarrassment, they just keep flooding back, so I want to avoid them. Mm-hmm. Um, is this because I haven't truly given it over to God or, or forgiven myself? Um, and I guess I'm worried that if maybe I act natural around them, they would wonder if I was embarrassed or I yep. cared about what I did. Sure. Um, so you can have guilt and shame over you know, your behavior towards other people, right. and it can carry over Absolutely. just like this. What, yeah. what insight or advice would you have for them? Well, it's a, it's a great question, and I would just I would say a few things. Number one, make sure that if you have wronged them, make sure that you haven't just asked God for forgiveness, but that you've actually asked them for forgiveness. When, mm-hmm. it, when there is sin, a lot of times there is a... Um, a vertical component and there's a horizontal component to it as well. And so it might feel awkward if if there's never been any type of reconciling conversations mm-hmm. where you've gone to them and just said, here's what I did, will you forgive me? Mm-hmm. And you can't control their response. That's really just a matter of you keeping your side of the street clean. Just you saying, I need to make sure that I do everything that I've been called to do, which is if I've wronged someone, to, to ask forgiveness. So there is that. Um, if you have asked forgiveness from them and you still feel that way, there there really is something to forgiving yourself. Because I do think, and I think I've experienced this, but I do think it's possible for people to experience mm-hmm. God's forgiveness. Mm-hmm. You, you understand and embrace that God has forgiven you, but you just struggle to forgive yourself. And that is, you know, that's, that has to be a choice, not a feeling. Because you have to remember feelings are real. They're just not always reliable. So that's a, what a good pastor friend says. And your feelings, you'll wake up sometimes and your feelings will tell you that you're still a failure because of what you've done. So you have to make decision to say, you know what, if God has forgiven me and Jesus paid for this on the cross, I don't have the right to hold this against myself anymore. I take what he says about me more seriously than what I say about myself. Right now I'm saying I'm a failure. Jesus has already said, you're forgiven. You have my favor. What he says trumps what I feel, if that makes sense. The last thing I would say is, you know what? Sometimes that awkwardness, like to to be concerned about um, what they think and if they question whether you should still feel embarrassed, it's normal and natural for us to for us to want the acceptance of other people. And people are really fickle. Mm-hmm. And one day you'll have people's acceptance and approval, and another day you won't. 
And so you just have to remember that you need to be a God pleaser, not a man or a woman pleaser. And so it, you take what Jesus says more seriously than what they say. If God has called you to walk in freedom, then it would be wrong for you to care whether they think you should still be embarrassed by it yeah, or not. Such, such a good response. And as we see at the end, I just love how you talked about between the two charcoal fires, yeah. there was the cross That's and how right. he wants to trade yeah. that yeah. guilt and shame. And yeah. it was such a powerful message. Yeah. So thank yeah. you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah. I'll just say this. I was just talking with a friend afterward when I left and he just said, man, I can identify you. I tend, I, I can identify <laughs> with you. I tend to kind of carry some of those things longer than I need to. And I just thought, man, that's exactly right. It's a choice you're making to carry something that Jesus has already taken, dealt with, mm -hmm. canceled out and removed. So today you have a chance to lay it down and let him trade those stories. So good. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, and we loved bet. having you here. Thanks, loved All right, to be can't here. wait to see you again. Yeah. And thank you for joining us here for Postscript. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.